gospel jewels in Jeremiah. We're not going through the whole of this vast book, but we're concentrating on some jewels that have been forged in the heat, the intense heat of the trials of the prophets. And I want to bring a jewel this morning from chapter 5. Let me just read the first verse, chapter 5, verse 1. God sets the prophet's task, a challenge. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know and seek in her open places if you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgments, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. Throughout this book, we have God's judgments. And Jerusalem is facing that terrible calamity. And God says here to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, if you can find one man in the city of Jerusalem who is righteous, then I will avert my judgment and I will pardon her. And there's an echo here, of course, of the city of Sodom back in Genesis, uh, one of the most wicked cities in the whole of history. And Abraham was praying that God's judgments would turn away from wicked Sodom. And it's like Abraham praying, oh Lord, if there be so many righteous people in this city, then averts your judgments. Well, for Jerusalem, it's only one, only one good person that needs to be found. So I've just got three points and then we'll sing and move to the communion service. My first point is this. It's the title of a Flannery O'Connor short story. A good man is hard to find. Flannery O'Connor was writing about the United States in the 20th century. Jerusalem in Jeremiah's day. A good man. That's what he had to look for. Uh, if you uh, read the verse, it says, if you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth. Spurgeon, the allusion is not to doctrinal truth, that's truth in the head, or truth in the abstract, but to practical truth as it should exist in the hearts and lives of men. What does that mean? It means that God is saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want you to find a man of integrity, a man who is 100% transparent, a man who is truthful, and you only need to find one man. And if you can do that, then there will be no judgment upon the city of Jerusalem. There's uh, an account, isn't there, of a Greek philosopher who goes around Athens during the daytime with a lantern trying to find an honest man. <laughs> and that's what Jeremiah is going to do here. He's searching the city. And Jerusalem at this time was a bit like Wales a few generations ago. Some of you who are older may even remember 
what it was once like here in Wales, how many of the population professed to be Christians, the majority of people would attend chapel, and there was much more of a religious talk. And Jerusalem was a bit like that, a very respectable and a religious city. And there is something very attractive about that. So you would have thought that Jeremiah was bound to find a good person in such a population. Uh, Look at verse 2. These are very religious people. They talk about God as the Lord lives. They don't swear. They are not outwardly immoral. And yet, Jeremiah can't find anybody among the populace who is a man or a woman of integrity. Though they swear as the Lord lives, they surely swear falsely. That's a terrible indictment. These people, God says, are committing perjury when they are worshipping me in the temple. Just as people used to go to chapel in Wales, so these people were faithful in their attendance of the temple, just as we are faithful in coming to church, even in lockdown. But God is saying of them, you're lying to me. You're lying. So what does Jeremiah do then? Uh, He loses hearts. He says in verse 4, Surely these are poor, they are foolish. They don't really know the things of God. So what I'll do, I'll go to the great and to the good. I'll go to the religious rulers. They have had training in the scriptures. They know what is what. They must surely have one person in their midst who is righteous and who will avert judgments. It's worse. It's worse. Just because they know the truth makes it worse. They sin willfully. Look how God describes them. He says, I will go, verse 5, to the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. They're like a foolish ox who has been yoked, and the ox thinks that it knows better than the owner. And it is often like that with religious people. It was the case with the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They had made their traditions more important than the word of God. Jeremiah was called the broken prophet. And he must have gone home weeping for the states of Jerusalem. It was the same in Jesus' day. You see, Jeremiah realized Sodom was a wicked city when Abraham was pleading for some righteous people there. But Jerusalem, he was beginning to realize, is the new Sodom. Yes, Sodom were guilty of sexual immorality, but Jerusalem is guilty of spiritual adultery. Uh, Yes, there is probably sexual immorality going on as well. We had that in our reading. But 
God is saying of his people in Jerusalem that they're committing adultery with him. They're going after other gods who are no gods. And didn't Jesus say something similar to the people who heard him preach? Imagine hearing Jesus of Nazareth preach. No man spoke like he did. And what did Jesus say of the people who had that privilege? It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Just because a people are religious or moral doesn't mean that there is a righteous person, a man or a woman of integrity amongst them. What about Cardiff? Are we any better? Well, of course, if you go to Queen Street, maybe during the day, after lockdown is over, <laughs> people worshipping, worshipping goods, materialism, worshipping sports, worshipping music. What about the night? Is it any better? Oh, it's worse then. Uh, go to St. Mary Street at night. Some of the street pastors will tell you the drunkenness and the prostitution, it's filthy, morally speaking. Well, you expect that, you say, if you go to the centre of the city. But what about uh, trying to go to some of the suburbs? What about uh, us who are privileged to live in the Heath area? Uh, they've even named the roads the saints, haven't they? Are there any righteous people living there? I don't think so. What about the people who come to church? Is there anybody uh, in terms of the professing Christians who has 100% integrity? The people we saw on that video, not just in this city, but all over Wales. The people who are here this morning. Do you know what God says? There is none righteous no, not one. And I find it very interesting, if anybody could claim to be a man of integrity, it could have been Jeremiah, who was making a stand for the Lord. But no, even Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. You see... Flannery O'Connor was wrong. A good man is not just hard to find. It's impossible. Impossible. Have you come to that conclusion? Not just about people in general, whether they're religious or not. But have you come to that conclusion about yourself? Uh, listen to Paul. Paul had come to that conclusion. Uh, he wrote... Uh, thousands of years after Jeremiah, Romans 3, what then? Are we Jews by birth or religious people, if you want? Are we better than they, those who are outside, those who are not religious? And Paul's conclusion is the same as Jeremiah's. There is none righteous. No, not one. We have all become worthless. Doesn't sound like a gospel jewel to me, you say. Hang on, we're getting there. <laughs> but do you see yourself as the sinner? 
I'm not righteous. Mia culpa. I'm the one who needs to be saved. Second point. This is not an academic subject, right? The challenge that God gives his prophets isn't just uh, something interesting. It's not just uh, a little quest that he's given to him. God is saying to Jeremiah, look here, Jeremiah, if you don't find a righteous person, then my judgment is going to come upon the city of Jerusalem. And it's the same for us. There is none righteous. And God is just. And God is so pure that he cannot look at what is sinful. And God must punish unrighteousness. He would be unjust not to. Now maybe you are thinking like the people were thinking in Jeremiah's day. Do you know what they said? If you look at the Bible in verse 12... They have lied about the Lord and said, It is not he, neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. Is that you this morning? Yes, judgment. I believe it. I believe in my head. I believe that God will judge sinful people. But somehow we fool ourselves, don't we, into thinking that it'll never be me. I remember having this conversation with my best friend who was used of God to bring me to know Jesus Christ. We were walking up Penglice Hill in Aberystwyth. It's a steep hill, isn't it? And he was trying to show me that we all need salvation in Jesus Christ. And I was trying to deflect him. And I was trying to say, but what about Gandhi? It's always Gandhi, isn't it? But what about all these good religious people? Surely they don't need to be saved. The Hitlers and the Pol Pots and the Stalins do. My friend couldn't persuade me. It was the Holy Spirit's that opened my eyes a few weeks later to say, mea culpa, I need to be saved. I'm under God's judgment. Have you realized that, my friend? This is not just something interesting or serious. This is something that's to do with our spiritual eternal destiny. I'm sure God has a sense of humor, you know, because God here, even in this quite sobering chapter, describes the prophets, not Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a true prophet. He was really on his own, like Elijah, I only remain. And there were many false prophets, and they were in the majority, and they were preaching peace, peace, where there was no peace. They were giving false hope to the people, and God describes these false prophets as wind. Don't you like that? For the word, my word, is not in them. They're full of wind, he says. They're windbags. <laughs> They're full of hot air. You don't want a windbag, do you, in the pulpits? 
you don't want somebody saying to you, look, look here, it's all right. All this talk about God's judgment, sin, death, the second coming. Don't, don't get too bothered about it. You don't want that, do you? I would be untrue to you as well as to myself. I don't want to be a windbag. Because even though Jeremiah alone preached God's word, it did come to pass. Judgment did come upon Jerusalem. The Babylonians did attack the city. It destroyed the temple. It carried away the people of God into captivity. It did happen, even in Jeremiah's lifetime. The way that uh, God, through Jeremiah, describes the judgment is, oh, uh, very frightening. Uh, verse 16, he talks about the arrows of the enemy being like an open tomb, the arrows of death coming upon the people. The people thought that their fortified cities, which they trusted in, would save them, but it didn't avail when the judgment came. And it's a bit like that with us, isn't it? We fortify ourselves. We think that we're young and healthy, but that hasn't stopped people being taken away by this horrible virus. We fortify ourselves, maybe with our religion, with our faithfulness in attending church, but that's not going to give us peace with God. We fortify ourselves with our busyness. We try to forget about the big issues in life. But the soul that sins, God says, shall die. In Ezekiel, he says, not shall die, but shall surely die. One day, the arrow of death will come to you. We've got another funeral. One day, it will be your body in the coffin. Can you see how serious this is? Man is appointed to die once. No escape from that appointment. You can escape a Zoom meeting, but you cannot escape that appointment with death. You cannot mute God. And after that, the judgment. God sends temporal judgments, doesn't he? Do you think, I'm no prophet, but do you think this virus is a temporal judgment to wake us up? And then there's the day of judgment. You know, th this is not hot air. Uh, this is why I said God has a sense of humor. The word for wind, the prophet are windbags. The word for wind in Hebrew is ruah. It's exactly the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? And God is saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, even though you're by yourself proclaiming my word, the majority are full of hot air, but I will fill you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. My friends, that's what Wales needs in 2021. Not windbags, but it needs men, women of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, bringing God's word, even if we don't like it. The first time I heard about God's judgment wasn't in chapel. I never heard about God's judgment in chapel. 
until I went to an evangelical church. The first time I heard about it was in school in history. We were about to do our GCSE exams, and the teacher told us she was trying to comfort us. She said, it's not how you perform in these exams that matter in the end. She was trying to alleviate our fears if we didn't do well. She said, it's how you will stand before the final exam, before God. Would they be allowed to say that today? Those words stuck with me. Here's a hymn. There is an hour when I must part with all I hold most dear. And life with its best hopes will then as nothingness appear. There is an hour when I must stand before the judgment seat and all my sins and all my foes in awesome vision meets. There is an hour when I must look on one eternity and nameless woe or blessed life my endless portion be. Where are you going for eternity? Is the eternal judgment or is it eternal life? Nameless woe or endless blessing? Now you may say, Pastor, you're supposed to be giving us a gospel jewel in this chapter. It doesn't sound encouraging at all. In the darkness here, there are glimmers of hope. God says, I will not make a full end. He says that. I will not make a full end. Verse 18. There's a glimmer, just a glimmer of light in the darkness. This is the gospel jewel, my friend. When you come to the New Testament, it's not just a little glimmer of light. It's the sun of righteousness. That's who Jesus Christ is. A hard choice. Impossible even to find a righteous man. But this is the good news. What we have failed to do, what Jeremiah failed to do, God has provided in the gospel 2,000 years ago. The sun of righteousness shone into our darkness. Jesus Christ during his lifetime, Jesus Christ was often declared by God the Father to be my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The righteous man. In Jeremiah's day, the prophets were full of wind, full of hot air, no truth, no integrity. What about Jesus Christ? Oh, listen, my friend. He didn't just preach the truth. He didn't just live truthfully. He is the truth. Listen to John in the first chapter of his gospel. Jesus Christ came and he was full of truth and grace. Wonderful. That's the glimmer and the full light of the gospel. Grace Love to the loveless. When a little later on, his disciples asked him about the gospel. This is how Jesus defined it. 
I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Did he have substance? Was he full of hot air? I say that very advisedly. Oh, my friend, if anyone was full of substance, it was Jesus Christ. He and he alone was the perfect human being. He never sinned, not once. He was completely transparent. Not only did he not commit sin outwardly, but he didn't even think sinful thoughts. He didn't desire sinful things in his heart. And he was like that 24-7 throughout his life. He was full of righteousness. And if you want to think of substance, oh, this is who Jesus Christ is. He is a man, yes, but at the same time, he is all the fullness of the Godhead in human form. There's substance for you. You can't get any greater than that. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. If you go to All Souls Langham Place in the centre of London, an Anglican evangelical church, not far from the top of Regent Street by the uh, BBC studios, there's a stained glass window there, and it's either on the window, but I think it's actually a, a picture. And the picture is very famous, and it's called Eke Homo, which means, Behold the man. Behold the man. And it's a picture of Jesus Christ. My friend, that's the jewel in this chapter. God is giving Jeremiah a challenge to find just one righteous man. And he couldn't do it in a religious city like Jerusalem. We couldn't do it in Cardiff. If you go to the best church in Cardiff, if you find the godliest person in that church, they are not 100% righteous. There is only one. Behold the man. Jesus Christ, the spotless Son of God. Jeremiah was looking forward to his coming. That's why it's a glimmer of hope. We are looking back and we can see how Jesus shone into the darkness of this world. Let me go further. I'm going to quote the words of one of the religious leaders in Jerusalem in Jesus' time. Jerusalem was more wicked, I think, in Jesus' day than in Jeremiah's day. And Caiaphas, uh, a high priest in Jerusalem, uh, because Jesus was causing such an uproar, Caius, Caiaphas said these words. He meant them politically. But God used, used the schemings of the politicians. It is better, said Caiaphas, that one man should die for the people than the whole nation should perish. Caiaphas was saying, it's better for one man to die in order that the city might be saved. That, that's the gospel in a nutshell. This is why Jesus Christ came into this world. This is why he proved himself to be a righteous man. He had come, the one righteous man, to die. Not for his own sins because he didn't have any, but to die so that the city of Jerusalem could be saved so that you and I could have eternal life. The most famous verse in the Bible 
If you've got a Gideon Bible, in the front of the Bible, it will have this verse in so many different languages. For God so loved the world that he gave this righteous man, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes, that's how I can escape from God's judgments. Jesus Christ took that judgment in my place when he died on the cross. The religious authorities, the Roman rulers, they thought that they were doing the right thing politically in getting rid of him. But God was the master controller, and God was using their evil intents to bring his glorious salvation about. Behold the man, behold the man. Have you seen him with the eye of faith? I read from Romans 3. It doesn't stop, does it, with those very frightening verses. There is none righteous, no, not one. I know it goes on to say, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that's every one of us, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And then the light comes in, the gospel. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. And then the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's the gospel Behold the man upon the cross. Uh, I like the way Stuart Townend puts it. Behold the man upon a cross. My sins upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Hallelujah. I know that I am going to heaven, not because I'm righteous, but because he is, and because he has taken upon himself my sins. Has he taken your sins? This is not something that is full of air. This is not emptiness. This is a sure and a certain hope is Jesus Christ the one you are trusting in? For he, God, the holy God, has made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God forgives us for Jesus' sake. Jesus takes the punishments all of our sins punished on him. The wrath of God falling on him. The justice of God satisfied. And then, wonder of wonders, all of Jesus' perfect righteousness is transferred into your accounts. The moments you believe in Jesus Christ that God should look on us as 100% righteous is amazing. But that's what happens when you're in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to avoid God's judgments. 
It doesn't matter how good you try to be. It doesn't matter how much you come to church. It doesn't matter how much of your Bible you know. It doesn't matter how hard you pray. You will never, ever pass God's pass mark. Only one, only one. And Jesus is his name. And I just want every one of us here this morning, I know we're in church this is a good place to be, but it's also a dangerous place to be if we don't do anything about Jesus Christ. I want you and myself this morning to run spiritually by faith to Jesus Christ and to cast ourselves on him, to be honest before God. Let me read some words of Spurgeon. They really uh, made me a bit scared, but... It helps if we're scared sometimes. To pretend to be other than we are before God is a hideous, a horrible madness. Everything about you and me that is unreal, God hates and hates it more in his own people than anyone else. So let's get rid of our religious veneer. Let's Go to Jesus Christ. I'm speaking to those of us who are believers. Let's go to him as we went the first time. Let's say to him, Lord, I'm coming as a sinner. I have no other name. No wonder Spurgeon could say, give me a sinner. Give me somebody who's honest about themselves. And I can talk for hours with them about my Savior. Because I'm a sinner as well. And who is Jesus Christ? He's none other than the friend of sinners. And I count it a great privilege before we come to communion to recommend him to you as well. As Wesley said, oh... Let me commend my Savior. However bad you feel yourself to be this morning, you're not too bad for him. However rotten you feel yourself to be, he will accept you. However fake you feel yourself to be, and let's admit it, at the end of the day, there's an element of untruthfulness in all of us, isn't there? He will still accept you. Oh, what a saviour. Uh, it's a children's hymn, but it says it beautifully. There is a green hill far away. It wasn't green. It was the place of the skull. Outside a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. There is no other, there was no other, there is no other, there will be no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only, he only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Believe, whoever you are, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved for his name's sake.